Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, we're recapping the Oscars with who won and if we got any of our predictions right. What game series needs a remake? And we say happy birthday to the Nintendo Switch by asking what can they do for an encore? All this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the pop culture cosmos my name is gerald glassford from pop culture cosmos and game source we truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today and it wouldn't be a pop culture cosmos without my good friend he is the man the myth the legend at humanica media you got to check out all the great stuff going on on humanicamedia.com also their youtube podbean and apple podcast channels it's josh peterson what's going on my friend hey 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 i got one chapter left on ready player one I'm I'm into it, man. It's, I told uh, you you would be. Did I not say that you would like it? You did, you did. But I'm like at my computer, and I'm like I'm gonna work for 20 minutes, and I'm gonna read a chapter of Ready Player One that started two days ago, and I'm like I got two chapters left, so that's exciting. Ready Player One is coming out the film later this month, but definitely if you get a chance, anyone out there, read the book by Ernest Klein first gives you kind of a heads up on what's going to go on somewhat with the film. There is some changes and whatnot, as we discussed previously, and we're going to discuss and delve into that more later this month as it gets closer to the film. But if you get a chance, Ready Player One is a great book indeed. It's going to be a great show we have for everyone out there today. We've got Rob McCallum standing by in the Cosmic Crossfire. He's going to be talking some Star Wars stuff that really hits home for him. In fact, also hits home for me as well. And, and we'll touch on that here in a sec because there were some really emotional things for me to say as far as during our conversation on that. Plus, later in the episode, Josh has a great thing going on with the Super BS Gamescast, and the guys are going to check in with their thoughts on the March game releases later in the show. Plus, we'll also be talking, what are the games that we want remade the most? And then also... Happy birthday to the Nintendo Switch. Year two is now live for the Nintendo Switch, and we're going to talk about what they need to do to keep all that great momentum going on later in the program. But first, Josh, uh, the Oscars have been awarded. Those gold little statuettes are now given and in the hands of the people that are partying, hardying right now. And you called it, my friend, definitely a, a great movie indeed, The Shape of Water by Guillermo del Toro. That one for Best Picture. Best Actor was Gary Oldman. Francis McDormand for Three Billboards, one for Best Actress. Best Supporting Actor was Sam Rockwell. Allison Janney for Best Supporting Actress. 
The Shape of Water, Guillermo del Toro won for Best Director, and just so many others to talk about. Coco for Best Animated Feature, Best Original Screenplay was Get Out, Best Adapted was Call Me By Your Name, Best Cinematography, Roger Deakins finally won after 13 tries, I believe, 12 or 13 tries for Blade Runner 2049. So many things to talk about. Visual effects, Blade Runner 2049, that was hands down the winner as well. We're so happy about that, which we love the film so much. But your thoughts on the Oscars, who won? And I'm out here in Vegas. It was pretty much the odds on favorites at today's program. I just, I'm not a huge fan of the Oscars. I don't believe that a panel of voters should be able to tell us like what movies are good and what movies aren't good. I, I predicted who, like from an, an objective view, I predicted who I would have voted for. And it seems like I was uh, I was right for the most part. But, um, you know, that being said, I'm glad like hey Sam Rockwell. Glad to see he got something. Shape of Water, Guillermo del Toro totally deserved that. And like, I don't think that Jordan Peele got snubbed because he ended up he was won like three. He won three awards from the indie uh, from an indie award show the night before. And I think Golden Globe as well, but also he did win for Best Original Screenplay, which is definitely a great award as well. Yeah, yeah. So he, I mean, he got something. He deserves something. But, okay, see, like, sound editing. Like, so Dunkirk won two awards. They got sound editing and sound mixing. And, like, I I totally agree. The sound editing, they, they should have won that. But as far as, like, sound mixing goes... I would have given it to either Baby Driver or or Blade Runner because Dunkirk did have great use of sound, so they deserve that. But like, you know, as far as the mixing goes, there there wasn't really anything there besides the that kept going through the entire movie. Whereas, you know, Blade Runner actually used it to Blade Runner and Baby Driver both use their sound. Yeah, with that Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and then you like you you told me last time that with Baby Driver, basically the songs and the way it was mixed in told the story. Yeah, it was. They were in both of those movies. The sound was integral to the movie. Whereas like Dunkirk, it was just there. There was just the ticking. Like that's all. It's not like yeah, it, it built suspense, but at the same time, it didn't like leave you. You know, you could have taken it out and still like it w- would have been a decent movie still. So it wasn't like integral to the 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 rest of the film i guess if that makes sense no it did and dunkirk one did win three awards and congratulations to christopher nolan and his crew for that but you're right blade runner 2049 with its two awards still we thought it should have won more should have been eligible for more because we think it's such a great film baby driver with its unique storytelling and integration with the music and songs that are so like you said integral to the plot should have garnered more consideration as well. But for the most part, you hit on virtually every one of the top categories. So congratulations to you. You got to come to Vegas here next year and see if you can go ahead and put some money down on that. The Oscars but, wants my resume. They can reach me at humanicanmedia at gmail.com. There you go. Exactly, exactly. But uh, I'll tell you what, it was a, a very, I would say not uneventful, but something that it, it actually went pretty much as the norm as expected no real surprises or anything of that nature so i guess in that sense it's a very solid oscars format this year there was nothing out of the ordinary or anything like that which i guess sometimes i like the surprises myself but hey according to the academy the best nominees won and and more power to them and my congratulations to them as well 
What are your thoughts on the Oscars? Did you think that there was some some better films out there? I mean, Josh and I will will tell you again, like we said on last week's show, Blade Runner 2049 should have been the best picture of the year. But I know a lot of other people have different ideas on what should have won for best picture, who should have won for best actor, best actress, whatnot. Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. Josh, I know you also got a chance to check out what's going on with the box office. And after another $60 million weekend here domestically, it is now very close worldwide to a $900 million take. In fact, by the time most people hear this, it will already be over that mark. So I ask you, with all that going on with Black Panther, where's the end in sight for this awesome, awesome movie and this great tribute to everything for Marvel? Infinity War. Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> no, I, I even think it might even actually do some small amount of money just before Infinity War, and maybe even during Infinity War. It you know it may actually even have legs into May. Okay. Well, here's the thing. All right. So Thor Ragnarok hits Blu-ray on Tuesday. You know, you take that, and you you if you were one of those people who likes to uh, watch all the Marvel films, you like to take like three days and just marathon them all then that puts you in a perfect position to go check out Black Panther one more time before Infinity War comes out. So yeah, I'm, there's plenty of people out there and I'm sure like even, you know, at um, like the Cinemarks and the Edwards and stuff, they they play those uh, those marathons before you can watch the, you know, certain the key films from, you know, the different phases of the Marvel Universe. So Because you can no longer buy one ticket to get to entire marathon right now. Nobody can really last that long. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's a long day, but no, it it still stands to make some money, and there's still going to be a niche. You're gonna, we're going to see because it's going to keep going. You're gonna, it's going to earn less and less less each weekend until Infinity War. But I think that you know the weekend before Infinity War comes out, we're going to see a small spike in it again before it fizzles out. Just a rehash, just people can catch up, get up to date with it, and see it again to keep it fresh in their mind before they go into Infinity War. I have a an idea that uh, I have a suspicion that it's going to do that same thing as well. A lot of people are gearing up for it. We're going to gear up for it. I will tell you later this month as we head back into our countdown to Infinity War later this month. So definitely look out for that when it comes on our shows, both on the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. I want to ask you this. There were other movies that debuted this weekend one of which was Red Sparrow, actually did slightly better expectations-wise. It is the film starring Jennifer Lawrence as a Russian spy who gets involved with an American spy and all that good stuff happens and you know people back and forth, betrayals and all that, almost like a you know bad death match in Halo. But anyways, uh, betrayal, betrayal, betrayal. Well, I will ask you this. Jennifer Lawrence... To me, she seems a lot like a lot like her and Matt Damon. They still both have a lot of star power to their name, and they're still able to get uh, you know a kind of decent opening, no matter how bad the movie is, or no matter how polarizing the movie is. Like last year's Mother for Jennifer Lawrence, although with downsizing and also as well uh, Suburbicon, maybe Matt Damon does not have the same kind of power he once had. What do you think can get both Matt Damon and Jennifer Lawrence back into the good graces as far as film audiences are concerned and get back into those really, really big hits we're accustomed to seeing them in? Because 
Jennifer Lawrence's last really big thing is maybe the X-Men or Passengers. I don't know, whichever you would probably say first. Uh, okay, so it, this, is a, this is a sad conversation because it's like these days you can't, like once you're in a, a franchise, you're considered on top of your game. And then once you get out of franchises, we're seeing a lot of big name actors kind of have their careers fizzle out because Chris Evans is a good example. Like he... The work that he's done outside of the Marvel films, brilliant, love it. But critics don't love it because he's not carrying his Captain America shield around. So we see these big name actors getting out of big franchises, especially superhero ones. And then we just we don't really hear from them anymore. Like after Ben Affleck quits Batman, how long before he fades into obscurity? You know, granted, he's a great filmmaker, but it, it's just is he going to does he have any argos left up his sleeve right right any argos or the towns but is, is that do we still have that or or gone girl are there any is there any of that left in him um, well I, it just it's just weird because it, you know when these actors like jennifer lawrence and matt damon they they you know can score big with the martian and like i said with her passengers or also you know, some choices that she had previously when she was really hot w with uh, the Hunger Games scenario right in the middle of that mix, and she was doing films there. I think it's also the choices that they make when they get some of these scripts. Do they go for cash grabs or do, do you do when they're, when they're reading these scripts? Do they Are they really looking at them as far as, hey, maybe I can really make this tra translate into something big or, or am I just really going for the cash and, and just basically trying to get something now and not looking at, at far and later with Matt Damon. I don't know what just is going on. He's just not making really great choices at this point in time. Matt Damon's kind of all over the map. He's been, you know, downsizing suburbicon. Those were, those are all movies that I don't know if like he was friends with the director or the producer or what well, George Clooney. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I, you know, I don't know what's going on with that. Matt Damon, like, I honestly can't remember the last thing that I remember him like being really good in. I can't remember the last time I walked out of a Matt Damon movie and I was like, dang. Was well, the Martian and then also obviously the last Bourne movie was his, I think, last big hit were were those two. Right. So, yeah, the Martian was a, it was a good movie. And even like the last Bourne movie is arguably good. It's it's not like I wouldn't like label it good, but it was not my favorite born movie for me once i went to las vegas and went into the toilet <laughs> yeah yeah literally yeah <laughs> i think the story's a little different with jennifer uh lawrence because she she seems to go after these art house picks so she likes the darren aronofsky stuff like mother was a total artsy film uh, red sparrow total artsy film i have no desire to see red sparrow i'm asking you know i ask people i'm like hey are you interested in seeing Red Sparrow? And they'd be like, only because I hope to see Jennifer Lawrence naked in it. And that's like that. And that's sad to me. Like it's, it's one, it's a movie that looks like it could have some depth to it, but like all they want to do is see, you know, the, uh, the, the sexy parts, but I don't know. I just don't have any desire to see it because I feel like it's, it's one of those movies that's like, it's going to confuse me and I'm just not going to, there's going to be too much backstabbing. It's not going to make sense in the end. I hear you on that. It's just, I think these these actors and actresses just got to step out of the realm when they read these scripts and get these proposals for films and say, you know what, I understand it's a starring vehicle, but really when it comes down to it, is this something that's going to connect with audiences? Nobody has the right answer 100% of the time. I get that. Uh, I get that. But 
these actors and actresses who've been doing this for a while should, when they see these projects come about, they should pretty much understand what is a good bet and, and what maybe is not so good. Or when is the movie being placed? At what time of the year when it's finished? Is there a guarantee it's going to go in the, at the hot summer season? Or is it going to go where in the spring or the winter where it's kind of off and on or touch and go as far as whether or not it could be it can be a success? Uh, I don't know. It just it, to me, it, it's kind of strange that these these actors and actresses sometimes when they with the choices that they make because all it takes is just one or two to finally just go into oblivion. I mean, we talk about Geostorm. Look no further than that. Gerard Butler. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's now doing that. He's now doing just B-movies. He's doing the... He did that latest cop drama that, that came out uh, that just vanished out the theaters almost after its first weekend. So definitely it's, it's kind of... I don't know. Once you lose your star power, it's very hard to get back. And with the choices that some of these Hollywood stars make that uh, it's kind of kind of very uh, head scratching indeed. Let me ask you a question. Sure. Do you think that instead of going for these big studio artsy picks, air quotes for those of you listening, it's probably because the studio guarantees them money. But I feel like a lot of these actors and actresses could flourish as far as like acting goes in like the indie circuits. You know, I could be, I might be crazy in thinking this, but like, but then, uh, yeah, because all it takes is one Academy Award and then boom, they're right back to the top of the class. Yeah. So, I mean, you're like, you're sacrificing, you know, creativity, a chance for you to actually show your talent in exchange for a guaranteed paycheck. And I think that's where a lot of these celebrities shoot themselves in the foot. I couldn't agree with you more on that. It just and sometimes, like I said, they're very short sighted in the way they see things and the, the projects that they take on. What are your thoughts out there on some of these Hollywood stars and the projects that they take? Do you think that they just go for money grabs most of the time and and bank on their, well, bankability and, in order to secure these roles and, and just go ahead and, and askew whatever good plot devices that could be had somewhere else and just go for these movies that don't seem like good ideas at the time? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, humanity media, and game source on Facebook and Twitter as well. Well, like I said, it's going to be a great episode. We've got Rob McCallum standing by in the Cosmic Crossfire. Also as well, we've got the guys from the Super BS Gamescast, including Josh Peterson, coming up later in the broadcast to talk about March game releases. It's going to be a great show indeed. And this is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hello, murder puppets. Do you like murder most foul? Do you like gory details? Do you love dark humor that offsets the horror? If you do, then come and check us out, the Gory Gals of the Color Me Dead podcast. We drop new episodes every Wednesday because on Wednesdays we wear murder. Adopt, don't shop, and stay Stay out out of chalk chalk lines. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www dot popculturecosmos.wordpress.com And we're back with another edition of the Cosmic Crossfire. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We want to thank you for sticking around and, and listening to the show. Well, he's back again. It's Rob McCallum. So pray tell, Rob. 
What is on your mind when it comes to pop culture? And just when you thought we weren't going to talk about Star Wars or Disney, Last Jedi hit store shelves on March 27th. It comes out digitally two weeks before and uh, Ultra HD. But on Blu-ray... is before Kitty. Do you, do you see any overlying competition there? No, not at all. I think Kitty's premiere was against something big at the end of October too, and we clearly had all the headlines. Last Jedi hits Blu-ray on March 27th. 14 deleted scenes in a feature-length documentary on the making of the film. There's a, there was already a documentary about the force of sound that ABC had aired, and I don't know if that'll be included or not. But Ryan Johnson takes uh, audience, uh, the audience and fans uh, into a, the whole process of what it was like to make the film, so that'll be pretty revealing, I think. But it's these 14 deleted scenes that people are talking about already. My question is, what are the role of deleted scenes anymore? People are like treating them as canon when they've been deleted. They're not part of the story. You know, what is that line? And then it gets muddy and murky when you start to think that some of these deleted scenes were included in the trailer. Well, I will say this, that when it comes to deleted scenes, like you said, they should be treated as such. It was left on the cutting room floor for a reason, and it should not be a part of what people consider to be canon or part of the actual timeline or anything of that nature. They're just added scenes that are put into the DVD for filler for because now we're we're rating as far as what we think of value as far as for Blu-ray discs, DVD discs, and whatnot. Uh, does it have enough you know interviews? Does it have enough of the two-hour backstory, or does it have enough behind-the-scenes footage, or you know does it have all that because people want more and more value out of it for their twenty twenty-five dollars that they pay for these DVDs these 4k blu-rays and whatnot so it it to me it just people just need to treat them continuously like they are they are scenes that were left on the cutting room floor and no matter what you think about them whether or not they should have been left in or out of the movie you should just respect the filmmaker's judgment for leaving it off the floor and, and just hey say hey it would have been nice to have it in the movie but at least i'm i'm happy that i got to see something that could have been there that it would have liked to have been there but ultimately was not left into the picture well i think when people talk about justice league uh, with especially with the director shake up with zach snyder taking a leave and joss whedon coming in to, to finish shoots and a number of scenes being shot by by whedon that made it into the cut everybody was essentially looking towards that director's cut and those deleted scenes so i mean same thing with blade runner 2049 where it was admitted that there actually can be, if you wanted to take all the extra footage that it was talked about, being a four-hour-plus cut of the movie. So I guess the question I've got is, you know, how important is the, is the minutia of what is canon? Are director's cuts canon, or is it just the theatrical cut? You know, are these deleted scenes deleted because the studio said that they weren't necessary, or is this a director's decision? And again, how important is the minutia of this stuff? Like, does it really matter? Like, here's the film... This is the story. Why are we killing ourselves over 14 deleted scenes and how it could alter our reality or our understanding of what the film was? Well, when it comes to Star Wars, you and I both know the answer is that people are really It doesn't passionate. matter, right? It doesn't matter. Nobody cares about it. Yeah, nobody cares at all, right? Yeah, sure. When it comes to Star Wars, people are so passionate about it. And this goes back to what we've been talking about for months now when it comes to The Last Jedi because people are just going over with like a with a fine tooth comb and trying to point out every flaw every mistake every detail 
you know, I was trying to get the impetus to see if we can start another petition and all that. So it just, you know, people just got to let it go and just, hey, if they don't like the movie, they don't like the movie. If they do, they do. And, and just leave it from there and, and stop worrying about what scenes got left in and what scenes got taken out and just enjoy it for what it is. And those 14 deleted scenes, treat them as such and that they're not going to be part of the canon anytime soon. I just, I, I think people get too up in arms about stuff. Everybody wants to look forward to the next thing and talk about it. I mean, that's part of the reason that shows like ours exist. We get to talk about things that are happening and speculate as, as, as we build up to the release date of these things or, or the, the street date. But I, I think we're, we're starting to get a little crazy when it comes to is the director's cut better than the regular cut or the theatrical cut? Are these 14 deleted scenes? Should they be put into it? Is it canon? Is it not canon? I think we all need to take one of those big chill pills and just relax a bit on, on what matters and why. Well, I will say this, and before we head on out, um, the Blade Runner series, we'll go back to it again. You and I both know there's actually, what, six or seven different cuts of that movie that's been floating around at some point in time or another that's been shown to the public at some point in time, whether it's just a small Comic-Con or event or to a larger audience or the general audience were shown on screen. So it, it, I could see from there it created all this confusion about which uh, one is the best. Now Ridley Scott has obviously gone on record as far as which one he prefers. And, and I know fans uh, are all across the board as far as their opinions on the original Blade Runner and which actual cut they like the best. So. I understand as far as that's concerned, that creates a lot of confusion. But when it comes to the Star Wars canon and whatnot, people are just so passionate. It's just so hard to for Lucasfilm and at this point now, Disney and Star Wars Studios to really do anything really that's 100% accepted by the general public because of, of all the crazy ideas and all the crazy things when it comes to Star Wars fans and, and the Star Wars lore. Last thing I'll leave us with, and it's not even a question I have, and it's not much of a discussion, but I thought it was worth sharing for any Star Wars fans that are out there, because it's about Episode Nine, and we like to talk about things years before they can come so we can constantly dissect it. This is an interview from J.J. Uh, Abrams, who says he won't let fan outcry disturb his vision for Episode Nine, particularly about female characters. He says on Slash Film, Star Wars is a big galaxy, and you can sort of find almost anything you want in Star Wars if you are someone who feels threatened by women and need to lash out against them, you can probably find an enemy in Star Wars. You could probably look at that first movie that George did and say that Leia was too outspoken or that she was too tough. Anybody who wants to find a problem with anything can find the problem. The internet seems to be made for that. There's a lot I would like to say about it, Episode 9, but I feel like it's a little too early to be having Episode 9 conversations. I will say that the story of Rey, Poe, and Finn, and Kylo Ren, and if you look, there are three men and one woman, to those that are complaining about there being too many women in Star Wars, their, their story continues in a way that I couldn't be more excited about and cannot wait for people to see. Do you have any thoughts on that statement or the fact that he is not going to let fan outcry disturb his vision for the next entry? Well, I'll start with a story that I, that I know of. And you and I both know this when it came out. There was somebody that had the audacity and the idiocy to uh, make a cut and post a cut of the Star Wars The Last Jedi, deleting virtually all of the, the female scenes in it. You know, I posted it as far as the news is concerned and the backlash, obviously, that came about it, and rightly so. But I didn't tell my daughter, uh, my old, my eldest daughter, as far as what was going on, because I didn't think it was just something that was that big of news. I thought it would just go away and just some troll being, a, being an idiot. 
but she caught wind of it. She she actually saw it firsthand, and she was uh, I, I I saw her one day, you know, in our closet just crying, and I was like, what What happened? What's wrong? And she indicated to me her she she was so surprised and, and aghast that this went on, and she was so hurt, and and to see her pain on her face was just truly just devastating for me, and basically just told her that there are people in this world that do not think as, as the general public out there does and are threatened by the advancement of, of women and women's causes. And don't let that disturb you. Don't let that get in your way of, of accomplishing your goals and what you want to do in life. And there are so many other great people out in this world that you that are you know you want to deal with in life you don't have to deal with with idiots like this at, at all and and that individual that did that obviously paid the price because they, that individual got a huge backlash for what was presented and and obviously uh, something of that nature that that individual will have to live with and, and for the rest of his life and and look in the mirror and and ask himself did i really do a good thing by by putting that out there and obviously they did and and they feel threatened by the advancement of what women are going to be doing now these days and also minorities as well black panther is scoring huge across the world as far as it might be on its way to a billion dollars and, and people are still threatened by it and they should be and with wonder woman doing so huge last year People shouldn't be threatened by Wonder Woman's success, and they shouldn't be because this world has, has a diverse mix of so many great people out there, and they better come to realization that this is the world we live in now, and they better get used to it. And if they can't, oh well, <laughs> see you. Hollywood is now going to start embracing diversity even more so now more than ever. And as I, as I told my daughter, just like I said, don't let the idiocy of some affect you and the way you want to conduct your life well there you have it i mean nothing to add there let's just close the crossfire and call for a ceasefire well I, and i just had this that jj abrams it should not let your vision as far as the trolls out there say anything as well as far as how you want to conduct your movie and just all i ask you is just make a a great movie that doesn't emulate in every single way return of the dead i like the force awakens did with star wars but you won't go there <laughs> well i, I know I, I don't want to say that too loud because jay might hear me and you know how jay gets he's he's got some thoughts and uh, he'll defend what he loves when it comes to star wars that he will but if you have any questions for us in the cosmic crossfire pop culture cosmos at yahoo.com also as well pop culture cosmos humanity media game source and rob mccallum films on facebook and twitter as well and rob as always it's great to have you on the pop culture cosmos on march 30th get ready for kitty origins evolutions the latest documentary from rob mccallum thrusted into heavy metal stardom as teenagers with their debut release kitty has thrashed and conquered the heavy metal world for the past 20 years kitty has defied industry norms fought back against women and rock stereotypes and inspired generations since they appeared and now for the first time they've decided to share their untold story Generously peppered with archival footage shot by the band, this film gives you an honest and brutal look at what it takes to survive in the music industry. Pre-order the DVD, Blu-ray, and live CD triple pack that features recordings from throughout their 20-year illustrious history from RobMcCallumFilms.com. RobMcCallumFilms.com, your place for awesome stories about awesome people and films worth watching. Kitty Origins Evolutions drops March 30th, 2018.
And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We thank you so much for sticking around and enjoying the program. Well, Josh, we got a lot of great things going on. And we first, before we announce our schedule, again, just to get everybody updated on all the great places they can get our shows, want to say a big welcome to IPM Nation. That's ipmnation.com. You can catch all their great radio programs there, ipmnation.com, including the Pop Culture Cosmos, which is now going to be on at 10 p.m. Eastern Monday and the PCC Multiverse on Friday at 10 p.m. Eastern as well, 7 p.m. Pacific, both days. Got to catch those shows there on ipmnation.com. If for some reason you can't catch it there, we're on Sundays. We're on Good Talk Radio in the UK, Airwave Radio as well. Mondays, we're on Croc Radio, Gray Cloud Radio, and the Podcast Radio Network are our first and original home right there. So to kind of thank all those great radio stations. Plus on Tuesdays, the Western Reserve Digital Broadcasting Network. Wednesdays, Gray Cloud Radio. Thursdays, Western Reserve Digital Broadcasting again. Fridays, it's Croc Radio, the Podcast Radio Network, Gray Cloud Radio. And on Saturdays, Gray Cloud Radio. And again, on Mondays and Fridays, we're also going to be on ipmnation.com. So we're now streaming seven days a week on online radio, and we're so proud and we're so happy, and we hope you get a chance to enjoy our shows on one of those great radio stations. If you want to download our shows with extra bonus content, you just have to go to gunageek.com, the ESO Network, the Tangibound Network, Mixcloud, Google Play, Stitcher. There's over 20 different downloading networks, including the Pop Culture Cosmos channel, on Apple Podcasts. Josh, you've got a great thing going on with Humanica Media, so bring us up to date with all the great stuff at Humanica Media. Well, it's funny you ask, Gerald. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so we have a new episode of Topic Topicocalypse dropping today. I, ha- I had the privilege of interviewing Kevin Goatee, who you've heard on the Pop Culture Cosmos show. He was a uh, fun guy to talk to. And then uh, tomorrow we will be dropping, also dropping a new episode of What About This? It's about Disneyland and what happens to people's minds when they go to Disneyland and how not wanting to be at Disneyland might indicate a lack of imagination on your part. So it's actually a pretty good episode. Well, it doesn't help when the prices keep continually going up. No, it doesn't. But like, I guess, you know, you, you go in there and you you find people who like they are incapable of escaping because Disneyland does a great job of basically putting you in another world. And you have these people who like to go sometimes and they're just incapable of visiting those worlds They're in their minds. They're thinking about what they're going to do when they get home or like they're they're tired of the crowds or like I hate I hate lines. They just they're incapable of enjoying themselves at Disneyland. And we talk about like whether or not that kind of person is the same person that will like sit in a movie theater and say like that's no way there's no way that would ever happen no science would not allow something like that to happen Uh, that sounds like you know not me of course because i enjoy myself i'm I'm a kid at heart but uh you know i i have been at disneyland universal studios been all these places sea world and whatnot and yes there have been individuals such as that at every single stop so Definitely got to check out that episode. But I also know you spoke to recently someone that we also talked to and interviewed at the Pop Culture Cosmos, and that was Muggsy, Australia's number one rapper. Is that correct? Actually, we meant to have a short conversation, but then we ended up having a long one after I found out that Muggsy was a fellow comic book fan. So we talked about X-Men. We talked about Batman. We talked about Superman. 
We talked about Star Wars, and then we finally talked about hip hop. So you can check that out too on the uh, Topicocalypse um, uh, Podbean page and uh, podcast.com and iTunes. And then to round the week out, we have the uh, Attack of the Humanican show on Tuesday. Uh, if I remember correctly, we got moved to time slot, correct? Uh, well, that was just for that week because it was an extra overload as far as uh, extra time allotted. So I think you're back on uh, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. Okay, there you heard it, ladies and gentlemen. Check it out. And that's all we got going on this week. Well, that's definitely a lot indeed. And you can check it out all on humanicomedia.com and all their great channels. Josh, I know a lot of great stuff has come out lately within the last or current generation in regards to remakes and reboots as far as that's concerned. I know uh, I just got a chance to see Turok 2, The Seas of Evil. I, I sent a friend who's a longtime Turok fan news that that came out recently from Night Dive Studios. I want to ask you, is there a property that has not been touched yet that you think is deserving and in need of being rebooted or remade in a better fashion? Not to say rebooted, but remade in a better fashion, or a reimagining, a maybe upgrading graphics, stuff like that, that, that you think a lot of people would enjoy. Yeah. So I don't know if you remember way back when on the original Xbox, there's a game called Advent Rising. And like they had planned a massive trilogy around this game. And I know some of the some of the uh, developers went on to create Mass Effect, but that is a game that I would have loved to see come to fruition. Like that was a the first time in a long time that I had sat down and I was just in as a kid and was just obsessed with a video game from start to finish. I will say this, they I, I know them best and a lot of longtime gaming fans know them best as the one who tried to actually have a contest with a million dollar prize, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I think I remember something about that. It was either a hundred thousand or a million. It was a very substantial large prize. I don't know if it, if it ever got distributed or sent out because I know the game suffered from a lack of sales and it did not actually materialize as a top of the line game. But I don't know if they ever ended up distributing that prize, but it was something that was being advertised. And I was like, wow, OK, they really have a lot of confidence in that game. Hey, it was a fun game. I mean, I don't maybe the marketing wasn't done correctly or or what. I don't know. OK, so there's two games here and these ones are more retro that I would like to see on modern consoles. I would love to see Golden Axe upgraded and put on a modern console because I think that that could end up being like a really cool, you know, Borderlands type fantasy game. You know, you just have you have four players jumping in at the same time, going around things kind of like a, a new version of Gauntlet. But I just remember being, you know, playing Golden Axe where I have a video up of me and uh, Chad from Hyperschmidt playing it this past weekend on the Sega Genesis. I saw that. I saw that. But what's funny is that you were talking about a new style of gauntlets. And unfortunately, a new style did come out in the recent past and it didn't strike well with audiences. Did it? Of, of Oh, gold, gauntlet. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, th there's there's a time and a place for it. And I think if we ever get back to an era of like couch co-op gaming, then that'll be something that might be worth looking into. And another one that I would love to see is Streets of Rage. I've always had a soft spot for that franchise. There's just as far as if you were to make that into like some kind of 3D platform or something, not 3D, but like, uh, you know, a game in terms of like the same styles like Tomb Raider or Uncharted, but you're just kind of going through the streets of L.A. 
there's nothing like that on consoles at all as far as i know right now you're just picking up trash cans and chucking them at people like i would love to see that and you know normally i would say spire of the dragon but they made that they sort of made an announcement so there's that indeed and and for mine i've got just three words for you man just three words that says it all on a game or a game series i would like remade or reimagined or even just done right as far as in a proper context and and built up today's standards it's three words mass effect trilogy hey EA, you need to do it and you need to do it now that's all i need to say in regards to that i know josh has a lot of great ideas on gaming reimaginings as well what are your thoughts on remaking video games is there a game series or a game that you want remade share us your thoughts pop culture cosmos at yahoo.com also as well pop culture cosmos humanic media and game source on facebook and twitter as well Coming up right after the break is the guys from the Super BS Gamescast, including Josh right here. They're going to be talking March game releases. And right after that, Josh and I are going to be talking about the Nintendo Switch in year two and what they need to do to keep all that momentum going. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hey, everyone. It's Rob McCallum, and I'm back with a new series that centers on the world of crowdfunding. I call it Backed or Busted. It's real simple. Every week, I take a Shark Tank-like look at live campaigns on Kickstarter and Indiegogo and determine if they should be backed or if they're busted. If they should be backed, then I invest in the project, plunk down real money, and become a backer. If the project doesn't cut it, then it gets no love from me and I label it busted for the entire world to see. In addition, you'll discover amazing new projects, inventive products, creative endeavors, and you'll see what works and what doesn't work in the multi-billion dollar crowdfunding industry that makes turning your dream project into a reality more than possible. So check out Backed or Busted episodes at facebook.com slash backed or busted crowdfunding. And if you want me to help your campaign become truly awesome, send me a message. That's backed or busted at facebook.com slash backed or busted crowdfunding. Super. Super. What's up, nerds and nerdettes? Josh here. It's a brand new month, and you know what that means? A brand new batch of games is heading your way. That's right. I got in front of me the March game release list. So, sit down, buckle up and enjoy first on the list we have rockstar energy drink tricycle racing coming soon to a uh, just kidding that's not a real game but seeing how they'll do anything to compete with monster i wouldn't not expect it someday soon all right coming out on the psvr on march 6 we have bravo team while we at super bs are not huge fans of vr we thought this might be a worthwhile release to those of you who are it does look pretty generic and costs $40, but if you want a military shooter on VR with the graphical fidelity of an early 360 or PS3 game, then look no further. We have a smattering of Final Fantasy XV titles coming at you on March 6th. First of all, we have the Final Fantasy XV Windows Edition, which is obviously on PC. And then we have the Royal Edition, which comes out on PS4 and Xbox One. The Royal and Windows Edition contains all of the Season Pass content for Final Fantasy XV along with the updates. However, we at Super BS are not certain if it contains the additional content found in the Royal Edition, such as the first person mode, 
a larger version of Insomnia, a new dungeon, the ability to manually drive the boat between Altesia and Cape Kayam. One of our favorite games is about to get bigger and probably better. Both cost $50. The Devil May Cry HD collection is coming to PC, PS4, and Xbox One on March 13th. This collection contains the original Devil May Cry, Devil May Cry 2, and Devil May Cry 3 Dante's Awakening. The collection is $30 or $10 per game. The third Devil May Cry is one of Brank's favorite third-person action games with its amazingly tight gameplay, incredible challenge, and fun upgrade system. It's definitely worth checking out. This one should get docked a few points as it is a re-release of a collection released on PS3 and Xbox 360. However, it's not backwards compatible on Xbox One. Oh, Capcom, guess you gotta make your money somehow. Also on March 13th, we have Golem for PSVR. You already know our stance on VR, but I think this game looks pretty interesting. It is being developed by Xbungie people such as Marty O'Donnell, the composer for many of the Halo games, as well as the first Destiny, and Jamie Griezmer. A very important developer, if you read Jason Schreier's Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, you'll learn a lot about him. It is in first person, which seems to be a natural fit for a VR game, and it appears that you use the move controller to use your sword in combat. Not much else is known right now, not even the price. I definitely could imagine this getting a last minute delay. The Raven Remastered is hitting PC, PS4, and Xbox One on March 13th. A $30 remaster of a point-and-click adventure game may be a tough pill to swallow when there are often dozens if not hundreds of similar games being released in a given year. But if the story is good, then it may be worth the cash. We at SuperBS are going to probably give this a hard pass, but if you want to play this old 2013 PC game on your PS4 or Xbox One, you'll soon have your chance. Moving along, on March 15th we have Steins Gate Elite coming out on Nintendo Switch and Steinsgate Linear Bounded Phenogram HD on PS4. We might have to start calling March the month of remasters. Steinsgate Elite is an updated version of the original Steinsgate visual novel released in 2009. Now both of these games are Japan only, but if you want to import them, all the consoles are now region free, so be my guest. I couldn't find too much detail, nor did I really care to look into the whole gist of both games, but I saw that Steinsgate Elite was $70 to import. This is not my game. Kirby Star Allies is coming to Nintendo Switch on March 16th. I know the sweet Dr. Donna is a fan of most Kirby games. In my opinion, Kirby games are great, but not worth AAA pricing. Will I jump on Kirby Star Allies in the future? Who knows? Will the game drop to $20 and make it actually tempting? It's Nintendo, so probably not. It's $60 and I won't be able to weigh in on it until March 16th on Switch. Attack on Titan 2 is coming to PC, PS4, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch on March 20th. I'm not an anime fan, or am I? But seriously, I'm not really into anime, but I love me some Attack on Titan. I think the world building is strong with this one. Do I need another Warriors game? No. No, I do not. I still wait for the RPG that this series deserves. Attack on Titan 2 is vertical maneuvering around the world on March 20th for $60, and it's going to be on every toaster that you've ever seen. Sea of Thieves. I know a lot of people have been anticipating this one. It releases on PC and Xbox One on March 20th. Sea of Thieves is a game that's been in development for several years and was first teased at E3 2016. In this game, you travel the high seas with your friends looking for buried treasure while fighting for your lives against other players. This is the first cross-platform released by Microsoft that looks interesting enough to try. Is it worth $59.99 price point? That's still to be determined, but it will be available to those of you who have or are going to purchase an Xbox Games Pass which is only $10 a month. So you could theoretically rent the game for $10, and if you don't like it, quit your pass. Let's hope it's good until somebody says it isn't. 
Assassin's Creed Rogue Remastered. I don't know many people who are excited about this one, but it comes out on PS4 and Xbox One on March 20th. Since the release of the original Assassin's Creed game back in 2007, we've been blending into historically rich and cruel societies while either evading Templars or trying to get close enough to one to stick a hidden blade in their back. Assassin's Creed Rogue takes a different approach to Ubisoft's tried-and-true stealth adventure formula by putting you in the shoes of Shea Patrick Cormac, an assassin-turned-Templar. After being betrayed by the Brotherhood, he joins forces with their enemies for some good old revenge. Originally released in 2014, this is one of the Assassin's Creed games that I would have never guessed being worthy of a remaster. But if you're a story completionist, having the bridge between Black Flag and Unity join the new slash old generation of consoles might make it worth picking up. Titan Quest releases on PS4 and Xbox One on March 20th. This game always looked rad, but I'm really waiting for the Nintendo Switch release later this year. At $30, it seems a little steep for a 10-year-old game, but still tempting. It's coming hard on PS4 and Xbox One. Detective Pikachu hits Nintendo 3DS on March 23rd. What can I say about Detective Pikachu? I don't know much about it. Pikachu solves mysteries with a boy named Tim. It probably plays like a Professor Layton or Ace Attorney game, I'd assume. It came out in Japan a couple years ago, so I guess I could learn more if I wanted to. Spoilers ahead, I don't. Why they don't want to release this on Switch next year at the film? Well, that's a mystery you have to solve. It costs $40 and is inexplicably only playable on 3DS. Pure Farming 2018. I know a lot of people are excited about that one. Actually, no, I don't. It comes out on PC, PS4, and Xbox One on March 23rd. This is our jam. Figuring out the best way to plant and harvest. Oh boy. These city boys are going to have the time of their lives. As you all know, Super BS is all about farming sims, so everyone on the podcast will be playing the HE Double Hockey Sticks out of this. It costs $40 and is coming to PC, PS4, and Xbox One. Can't wait. Unimportant side note, I was being extremely sarcastic and I'm unsure who these games are even for. A Way Out is coming to PC, PS4, and Xbox One on March 23rd. When they showed this at E3 at the EA press conference, I was really impressed. In all honesty, it was the only game that EA showed that I was interested in after their horrible B-side blooper reel titled Mass Effect Andromeda. Full disclosure, I never played Brothers A Tale of Two Sons. The doctor said it was a real gem, but playing as both brothers at the same time was a bridge too far for me at the time. For $30, this one is definitely staying on my radar. It's coming out on PC, PS4, and Xbox One. If it does release on Switch, that may be the push I need to pick it up. Nino Kuni 2 Revenant Kingdom is releasing on PC and PS4 on March 23rd. I love the original. It might be my favorite PS3 game, tied with The Last of Us, obviously. I know Studio Ghibli is not in bed with Namco Bandai on this. They did bring back the extraordinary composer Joe Hisaishi and the Ghibli creator designer Yoshiyuka Mamos, so the aesthetic looks to be similar to the first. Hope the new combat system is good and that the story still brings the feels. I'll definitely be picking this up on the PS4. It's also coming to PC and it's $60. The Alliance Alive comes out on Nintendo 3DS on March 27th. This is a game that the Doctor is really looking forward to. Loving Legend of Legacy, Dr. Donna regaled us that this is the spiritual sequel and fixes some problems with the first. It's $40, but it's only coming to 3DS, so Brank won't be taking part till the inevitable Ultimate release on Nintendo Switch. Far Cry 5, I know a lot of people are looking forward to this one, for real, hits PC, PS4, and Xbox One on March 27th. Open World, the video game 5, aka Far Cry 5. Far Cry 4 is one of my favorite games of 2014. It improved upon Far Cry 3 in almost every possible way and added co-op, which totally changed the game. 
Can't wait for the gang at Super BS to take a crack at destroying cultists in Montana when this game drops March 27th. Being an Ubisoft game, $60 is probably a steal for all the content that will be provided. MLB The Show 18 releases on PS4 on March 27th. We at the Super BS usually take a hard pass at sports games. This will likely be the same. But for those of you who love sports games, I've heard nothing but positive stuff about MLB The Show. Hopefully they improve upon it meaningfully this year and it'll be worth your hard-earned $60. For us, it's a hard pass. I'm sorry if I mispronounced this. Atelier Lighty and Suel, the Alchemist and the Mysterious Paintings. Assuming I didn't butcher that too bad, you probably know what I'm talking about if you're into this game. Releases on PC, PS4, Nintendo Switch on March 27th. The long-running series never seems to end. Back when it was first aired in the PS2 era, I considered dipping my toes. I missed my opportunity, or more likely missed constantly grinding a generic anime trope for dozens of hours. I do not regret my decision. The game will cost $60 and I wouldn't touch it even at $10. Also keep in mind I've never touched the series and don't plan on changing my stance. Last but not least, Agony releases on PC, PS4, and Xbox One on March 30th. A Kickstarter game from 2016, it appears to be a first-person horror game in the vein of Amnesia with a much darker, gorier aesthetic. Would not be surprised if this game is delayed as there is very little information on it regarding its price. Alright guys, thanks for tuning in. In case you couldn't tell by the uh, insistence on a Nintendo Switch release, most of the commentary was written by Brank. I did do a couple of them, but I was the voice behind the madness. You can catch our podcast once a week on Podbean, iTunes, Podcast.com, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and like, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We would be incredibly grateful. This has been the March Game Release List. Until next time. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos with Gerald Glassford right here for you from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source, along with my good friend from Humanic Media, Josh Peterson. Josh, we got to send out our birthday wishes to Nintendo and the Nintendo Switch. It is now two years old, my friend, the terrible twos. So I ask you, Josh. What are some of the things that Nintendo needs to do to keep all that momentum going? Because Nintendo Switch is currently the best-selling console out there. In fact, it had one of the best first years ever in recorded video game history as far as sales are concerned. What do they need to do to keep that momentum going? And what are the, some of the things that you're looking for in year two of the Nintendo Switch? It's a good thing we're not on any uh, platforms on the Nintendo Switch, or else we would have had our listening time erased. Almost like the millennium clocks, you know, everybody was freaked out back in two, you know, as the as the clock turned to year 2000 that you know, my dad, especially he was 
God rest his soul, he's he was gonna get freaked out about everything, uh, freaking out on his computer or whatnot. In fact, he uh, he was trying to see if he what he could do to get more info and get more interest into that, but it didn't really come out to fruition. Thank goodness. But, Everyone's like super panicked about that. I remember that as a kid. Yeah, and and but unfortunately, they didn't know anything about the Nintendo Switch in year one. A lot of playtimes got jacked up for at least for now. Although I know Nintendo is working on a fix. Yeah, so for Nintendo Switch, things that I would like to see, I know we're not going to be able to see a virtual console, but I would like to see a way to purchase old games, like if we want to play them, maybe like some of the classics that were on the Wii or the Wii U. But I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if we were to see some sort of Games Pass happen with Nintendo where you can have access to all those old games for a monthly fee. Or maybe even if they just open it up on the eShop and, you know, we could repurchase like Secret of Mana or something like that. Right now, I'm just excited to see where it's going. I'd love to see Pokemon come out before the year's over. Besides Mario Kart, there's not really a lot of racing games. But right now, I don't have any complaints about what they're doing. I think they're they're doing things the smart way and they're... The Nintendo Directs are they're a good idea. I know they need some kind of big, uh, big name to get them through the year because we... Because, you know, everyone was surprised that we got a zelda and mario game in the same year so mike i guess you know i'm wondering like right now what are they going to use to carry them through 2018 there's a metroid game coming out and a donkey kong game but the donkey kong's a remaster and we don't know when the metroid game's coming out so it could be you know it could be this year it could be next year it could be two years from now i'm wondering what flagship series is going to carry them through the rest of the year and that's the question i have is because like you said zelda mario back to back in year one what can they do for an encore they will not be able to bring out a zelda and mario one two punch like that this year by themselves no i know they're already developing the next zelda game but you know those games take five six years to to finish so yeah who knows but i think the clear thing that they need to focus on for year two is third party and they need to have all these publishers really start embracing the Switch and realize that it is the best game in town right now. The PlayStation 4, that ebb is starting to flow a little bit downward, although it's still selling strong. That the Xbox One is just really not going to pan out as a top-of-the-line, number-one-selling platform. So it's time that a lot of these publishers that maybe were hesitant to really start utilizing that formula with a nintendo switch and see what they can do to to provide the nintendo switch consumers with some real quality games either ones that they they put on there that have already been released or ones that they will make specifically for the switch or do a day and date with the switch along with the other xbox and playstation platforms uh, but like i said it all comes down to for this year what third-party games can they offer that will really make it attractive for consumers? What are your thoughts on the Nintendo Switch in year two? Do you really think they're going to be as successful as their first year? Or do you see signs of a little bit of a slowdown until they they can recharge with some really top-of-the-line Nintendo games? Or do you think that a third-party killer lineup is the key to success in year two for this awesome console? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook and Twitter as well. So Josh, we've come to the end of a great episode. I want to thank Rob McCallum 
uh, once again for being in the middle of the Cosmic Crossfire. And of course, Josh, cannot thank you enough for you and everyone at the Super BS Gamescast for sharing your thoughts on the March game releases. Any last thoughts on the way out? Yeah, we are going to be streaming some Halo here coming up. So, you know, we're doing it in anticipation of a possible Halo release announcement at E3. If not, you know, it's still a pretty sick game and we might feel kind of foolish afterwards. But here's to hoping we get a new Halo and check out our live stream. Gerald will let you know more details about that on the old Pop Culture Cosmos Facebook page when we get it all figured out and scheduled. Absolutely, and it'll also be shared onto our Game Source Facebook pages and also Humanica Media on Facebook and Twitter as well. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day of paradise right here in the Pop Culture Cosmos. We thank you for listening, and here's hoping you have yourself a great day. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at ESONetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com. Hello, podcast fans. My name is Chris Jones, and I'm here to tell you about the Nerd Bliss Podcast. Now, of all the geek-oriented podcasts out there, we are definitely one of them. Yes, we talk about Star Trek and Star Wars and cosplay and Marvel and DC and the usual. But as geeks, we embrace anyone with very specialized knowledge, like triathletes or improv comedians or musicians. So we try to bring them in and let them share their geekiness with you to help broaden some horizons. And maybe you'll learn something. Maybe we'll learn something. You can find our entire catalog at nerdlistpodcast.com on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play Music, Player FM, and we are now proud to be a part of the ESO Network. Once again, we are the Nerd Bliss Podcast. Thank you and pod bless. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to another episode of Backdoor Busted. I'm your host, Rob McCallum, a.k.a. Rob McZob on Twitter. And today we're looking at Sonic the Hedgehog Battle Racers over on Kickstarter. Let's take a look. Here we are on Kickstarter, Sonic the Hedgehog Battle Racers, a pre-painted miniature racing board game for two to five players. Race past badniks and bosses collecting rings in a sprint to the finish. So this is cool because we're tapping into the Sonic the Hedgehog brand IP. And right away, you know, this is a well-known uh, character and franchise dating back, you know, to the Genesis days. So this should be doing incredibly well, right? So we're going to find out if that is the case. we got 22 days to go, 200 backers. Uh, their goal looks like they were for 50K US. 
and they've only raised 20,878 so far, so not even halfway there yet, 22 days to go. We'll dig in to see how long this has been live and uh, go from there. Let's take a look at the, the pitch video from Shinobi7, who's created two games so far. This, of course, is a tabletop game, as it said here, and it's based out of L.A. Take a look at the pitch video and see what we can learn. Okay, so that's the trailer for Sonic the Hedgehog Battle Racers, a tabletop game. Let's go back through this minute-long video and see what we can uh, learn and take away from. So we get some nice animated graphics right away early on, uh, seeing Sonic in familiar CG form as it's been for the last few years. It's introduced here, the game. And then we get the, the box top. Again, reiterating two to five players. And then we see a digital layout of the actual board game. So I'm not a huge fan of this because it feels less tangible. This feels just like a computer simulation at this point. And I don't feel like it's a board game. It feels like a video game. And when you have a character who is a video game character and you're trying to do a tabletop version, that is a very fine line uh, when it comes to showcasing the information. I'll say that the graphics do look slick, but right now it feels like I'm playing a tabletop game on a video game console in the same way that you might play Monopoly on PlayStation or Xbox, this feels like I'm going to play Sonic Battle Racers on my PS4 or Xbox One or Nintendo Switch. Uh, I do like this modular approach in terms of the game, but then we get more cutaway scenes like this that makes me think, oh, this is a video game, not a tabletop game, even though we're getting some of the, the game pieces right now. And we're getting more hidden there. We're getting Super Sonic as a Kickstarter exclusive. We got everything laid out here, but nothing feels real or as if it's you know, real photography. Uh, and that pretty much does it for the entire video. We get more cutscenes. So, like, no doubt the video is polished. It, it feels like a real commercial product. Uh, it has everything you'd expect from the iconography uh, associated with Song of the Hedgehog. It has the feel, it has the speed, but it doesn't feel like it's a real board game. It actually feels like a video game. And for that reason, I think they missed the mark slightly. Let's carry on and see what we can learn from the campaign here. So here we are. We have that same shot that we saw in the video, but with a digital background. This time it's on white, and this feels a little bit more like a tabletop uh, experience, but this is all, of course, uh, generated in Photoshop, so it's all digital assets still. Uh, Ready, set, Sonic. Burst into action with Sonic the Hedgehog Battle Racer. Select your racer, choose your route, and fight your way to the finish line while avoiding opposing racers and a variety of dangerous obstacles. Control your speed, use your abilities, and activate your special powers to collect as many rings as you can in an amazing race so that definitely says what's going on and then we get right into the pledges for 50 bucks you get that 100 bucks you get that uh and then we go right into stretch goals right away uh that's super interesting optional buys so these are add-ons 
And it's not really telling me much more. Game overview. So here we go. We're almost at the bottom of the page here. That's hard to tell within the window that I'm screen capturing. But uh, just looking over here at the bottom, you can see I can see where the rest of the window goes to. So Battle Racers is a pre-painted miniature board game. Play a Sonic, one of his friends, a rival, or foe, and race through a track full of obstacles and challenges, which we've seen already and read already. Along the way, collect as many rings as possible. Destroy badniks at every opportunity. But don't forget to keep an eye on your fellow racers. They could be hot on your heels and ready to strike. Uh, comes with five iconic Sonic characters, pre-painted miniatures, so we've seen that already. Uh, each racer has a pre-painted <laughs> pre miniature racer profile and speed token. So we're really pushing that pre-painted miniature part uh, a lot here. Uh, each profile contains racer's special unique ability, power, and so on. If racing against four opponents is enough for the challenge, try adding a boss to your game. Included in the Super Pledge characters such as Dr. Eggman can be used as a normal racer or a boss in the game with different abilities. Bosses are not controlled by any player and have a boss profile detailing their special rules and effects combined with their own specific set of boss cards uh, used during each game. What Sonic game could be complete without badniks getting in the way and causing troubles? So we just talked about some of those. Uh, sculpted badniks are a limited bonus to the Kickstarter will not come in the retail version of the game. So sculpts are not final subject to change. So that's good to know. That makes this a little bit more interesting in terms of why this is on Kickstarter. Every tracks section presents a new challenges. Uh, to set to be navigated. Each round, every player must choose an agility card. So they're really just kind of detailing the action portion, adjust the race speed, allow them to jump over obstacles, bad neck, yada, yada, yada. Game design has been fully completed, tested, and approved. So, okay, shipping. Shipping will be charged after the campaign through our pledge based on the actual shipping cost. Uh, pledge any additional awards. This is so we can be fair to all backers as shipping is really one size fits all. So here's our current shipping prices. Africa, 80 to most countries. Canada, 15 to 30 most cities. And it kind of just breaks it down here, which is uh, actually nice to see for once. I like that. These are estimates only. That's also nice. I like the f they're saying this is a EU-friendly project. Rewards bound for EU will ship from within the EU. Uh, no extra custom charges, which is nice. Very cool way to do that. Shinobi7 is a core team whose members have an average of 15-plus years' experience in the hobby games. I've worked with top-licensed brands of Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Marvel, DC, My Little Pony, Tokyo Ghoul, and many more. It's a tabletop game company dedicated to producing and publishing high-quality game based on hit culture brands, which explains why they have a Sonic brand. Uh, special thanks, Lazy Squire Games, risks and challenges. There are some uh, vagaries in terms of timing when it comes to anything produced in China, such as production delays, shipping delays, and custom delays. The estimated delivery date is October 2018, but this is only estimate. Also, due to logistics, international shipping backers in different regions of the world may receive the reward sooner than others. We've done our best to minimize delays. Yep. We can refund you within 14 days of the campaign end, uh, fees included. Uh, after that, we have no policy. We have a policy of no question asked though that's minus Kickstarter and payments processing fees, which we can't get back from them after 14 days. However, if we've begun packaging your pledge for shipment, no refunds are possible. If a component cannot be delivered at all, we refund that completely, including fees. The project is being funded in U.S. dollars, and any refunds processed will be in U.S. dollars for the exact amount received in U.S. dollars, excluding any applicable fees, depending on the time. So, what do you guys think I'm going to say about this? One, they're awful, very stingy about how this works in terms of refunds, as if they have a history of this problem, they're really spelling it out this time to make sure that there is no concerns going forward. But I also didn't see any reason why this has to be on Kickstarter other than possibly a marketing push, which is you know a, a legit reason, but should not be the only reason that you're on a platform like Kickstarter. There is no mention of uh, why this needs to be here, why it needs people's help to come to fruition. The only appeal in my uh, sense of estimation is that you get some of those extra sculpts and this exclusive uh, supersonic piece, which isn't available any, anywhere else. So 
Uh, why is this on Kickstarter is the big question. Let's look at the pledges and or the rewards and see see where we are with that. Uh, 50 bucks, you get the Racer Pledge, Sonic the Hedgehog box, uh, not including the freebie stretch goals. Uh, you get the exclusive uh, Super Sonic Racer and the Battle Racers base game. $100, you get... Uh, the Battle Racers, uh, you get exclusive Supersonic, 10 Buzzer Bomb Badnik Miniatures, Crab Meat Badniks, Moto Badnik, Spinner Badniks, and all unlocked freebie stretch goals. Hyper Pledge, 150 bucks, you get all the miniature Badniks, the Chaos Exclusive uh, Supersonic Racer. You get Metropolis Expansion, Vector Large Racer Expansion, Metal Sonic Mechanical Madness Expansion, Omega Large Racer Expansion, Big Large Racer Expansion, and all unlocked goals. So... 150 bucks US, 60 backers at that. We obviously only have the four SKUs, the the base game, the base game plus some KS exclusives, uh, and oh, I guess it's just the three, and then like the the hyper pledge, as they say, which is like you know the souped up version of the, of the Kickstarter uh, edition, which just includes all the expansion sets. Now we have again. Let's remind ourselves where are we with in terms of this goal here? We are at twenty thousand. Uh, so we're, again, not even halfway to our goal. We're 22 days to go. And our first stretch goal comes at 60000 And it's a token bag to conveniently store all, all your draw tokens. Um, you get Blaze as an expansion character at 70 plastic rings. Sticks, another character. Metal stamp. And Shadow is 110000 So these are all freebies that they're willing to put in there if the campaign reaches enough here. Let's take a look at the updates. So they launched on February 7th. So this is a, a brand new campaign. So they're launching with 23 days in total. So in one day, basically, they're at 26,000. So that's pretty good. 26,000 of 62, or as I said, 20,000 of 50,000. So almost being at halfway assures this a really high probability on day one for that to hit its goal. Let's take a look at this output. Uh, we're glad to see you here and going to, we're going to work on providing the best possible experience for you during this campaign. That's great. Made a few big changes on the page itself. Yesterday was only one pledge level. Now we have three awesome pledge levels. So that's interesting to learn. They went from one pledge level to three, one at 50, 100 and 150. Yesterday we started with, uh, some of the stretch goals being unlocked as optional by the ideas. That idea is discarded. All stretch goals we have planned for this campaign will be freebies. That also means the plastic rings and the shadow oil ocean expansion will be included in free pledges. So. They may have gotten some feedback yesterday, so this being day two, I guess, not day one. So uh, this total is over two days. My apologies there, uh, which is nice. So they probably got some feedback on that already, or they saw where they were, and it wasn't doing that well. So here are the different expansions that you can add. So here's the big, here's the E23 Mega, here's Vector, track sections. So that's the Infinite Metropolis. And you know these are really kind of cool to be honest. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. I like uh, the expansions. I don't know how much it's really going to alter the gameplay, so it's hard to say. Uh, and regardless of what I think about the gameplay, this is more about what uh, I feel about the campaign. So we got tons of comments already. There's a gameplay video in the works. We had some technical staff moves, so that would be one question because we talked about just seeing it, looking at uh, how how the game actually plays because it looks like a video game. Uh, a lot of people are just pledging a buck because they want to see how it progresses before they commit. Uh, anything possible that doesn't include any un unannounced characters. So I'm just kind of reading through these to see if I can learn anything else. Uh, expansion figures going forward. Stretch goals. Uh, too expensive game for with few many minis. Don't know what to do yet, but value uh, added seems low for me. I'm not saying I disagree. 
uh, will the Badniks come pre-painted as well or only the racers and Robotnik? Is the board art final? It's quite uh, plain and boring. Doesn't evoke Sonic more like a golf course? Haha, <laughs> he's not wrong. The art isn't that great. Price is pretty high. The gameplay is pretty vague. I don't like unlocking optional purchases. Stretch goal. I'm in until February 27th, and then I'll decide. I'm afraid the money's going to the IP, hence the cost. Uh, these are all valid questions, and some of these questions you might not think of when you're on the fence looking at a campaign, so it's always good to go through these and see what other people are thinking before you make a decision to back or not. And again, a lot of people are saying, you know, you got my $1 for now just so I can keep an eye on the campaign and get all the updates, which I, which is why I'm a huge fan of putting that up and up front, you know, pledge a dollar, watch, watch our progress, and decide if you want to become a bigger backer, or just say thanks. Big fan of that as a reward. Uh, what, what else do we got here? Uh, gameplay we haven't seen that yet don't see any reviews uh yeah i mean where where my thoughts on on this campaign so far uh differ the 209 sorry 118 are from the u.s we see a lot of people from us uh still and trent uk i know a few people there myself montreal canada got a few there canada represent of course i'm from canada as i often say where this campaign uh there's a lot of things lacking as they said you know where's the gameplay video uh, it just seems like there's no reason for it to be on Kickstarter. It's got the established IP. Is that where the money's going? Uh, who knows? Gonna jump over to Kick Track. Sonic the Hedgehog. See what we can find here. Oh, do you see that? I'm gonna go back one page. It says right here. It's right on the the news part here, which is which is great. So there's an article on it if you wanted to learn more about it. There, you can do that. Attack of the Fanboys. So we can go back here. And just find the campaign itself. Battle Racers, 42%. Updated one minute ago, they're at 21,327. So this is a little dated. So if I refresh this, this should go up. Yep, it went up. So there we go. Uh, turning towards 511%. So according to this projection here, they should hit it by tomorrow at this rate. Uh, their daily data says that they're getting 10,000 per day uh, 10,000 day one 10,000 day two so 10,000 day three where it obviously makes sense uh, backers are different they're getting about 105 they're dropping off a little bit steeper than the pledge amount so when you see the pledge amounts uh, staying about the same but the backers have dropped that's always a good sign so that's probably in reaction to the different pledge goals uh, or the rewards rather that they that they've introduced instead of just having the one skew on day one they've introduced the three that they have now so you're probably seeing an increase in spending per less uh, people comments per day is a lot more comments on days on day two and you can see the latest news down here so here's some press which is always nice to see projection not enough data because it's still pretty new uh, you can see the trend which is way up here again hard to see so let's go back over to the Kickstarter campaign. So does this campaign work for me? Uh, well, here's the things I like. It's always nice to believe in a big IP brand like Sonic. The fact that uh, Shinobi 7 uh, has it means that they probably spent money, so they're really committed to it. And as they say in Risks and Challenges, everything the game is designed and ready to complete, and they just basically got to go into manufacturing. Uh, what I don't like is not seeing any gameplay, not seeing any reviews, not seeing any effort to have this in the community ahead of time to stop some possible snafus, only having one reward uh, option to begin day one isn't good. I do like that they kind of pivoted and added more rewards as a result of maybe some feedback, but you can see that the comment section as, as we looked at 
is just riddled with a lot of people asking questions here. And I wouldn't say that Shinobi 7 is super great about responding. They're kind of picking and choosing when they respond. So there's one here. And then there was a couple up here, but that's not a lot. Let's take a look and see what, they, what they've created before. So they canceled this already. Uh, so they canceled it one on, they canceled it like on the 7th. And I think we're recording on, on the 8th today. Yeah, we're recording on February 8th. So they, they had launched it, then they canceled it, and then relaunched it. So let's take a look at this canceled one. Uh, so they basically just offer the $100 pledge. And that's that, and stretch goals. So there's definitely some inexperience on that. I'm not sure why they would have done it that way, but now this looks like there's two campaigns for essentially the same thing. Um, let's see if we can find out a little bit more about Shinobi 7 within Kickstarter. Doesn't say much. Uh, collaborators on this project, Benjamin Yamanda. Let's click on his link and see what we can learn from Benjamin. He's back 32 projects, including, of course, Sonic. He's a collaborator, and that's good that he's back that. Um, and a lot of tabletop stuff. So that makes sense that he's collaborating. He probably knows a little thing about that. Um, let's see if I can find out something about this individual. So here we are. I just did a quick Google search. And it basically says, not sure what to do. I design board games, and I work at Blizzard Entertainment. My three-year-old daughter literally thinks that I make every game under the sun from Mario Odyssey to any Kickstarter that arrives at my doorstep. And that was 37 minutes ago. Okay, so he's the game designer, which is why he's a collaborator on that by the looks of it. Um, cool. I mean, that uh, makes me feel a little bit better that he works at Blizzard, I guess, by the looks of it. As far as the campaign, though, uh, not a not a huge fan, to be honest. The, the video, I think, is a huge misstep. The fact that they had to pivot the rewards is another misstep. They don't say why... It's on Kickstarter. The The rewards are high for the lack of information that's out there. These rewards might be very justified. And 50 bucks for a board game is pretty average, to be honest. But I, I feel like you're getting so much more for twice as much. But I can't justify it, given that I don't know enough about this. I don't see a Let's Play. I don't see any kind of reviews out there. I don't see people talking about it. I certainly don't see any press which would help this. And as much as I love the Sonic the Hedgehog IP, this is a brand and franchise that has had nothing but mediocre entries in many forms of media uh, of the past, you know, decade or so. So that doesn't exactly elevate my uh, my su my success uh, forecasting speciality, if you will. But it is, I think, as in terms of a campaign for us to look at and cross-examine, I think it's really important because a lot of us, that when we bring an idea, it's our own intellectual property, something original. And here's an example of someone trying to bring it, a branded piece of IP that they have the rights to to Kickstarter. And they'll, they're going to hit their goal as, you know, as we said, it's it's day two of their campaign and they're, and they're doing well. I'm not sure where it's going to end up. I don't like a lot of the campaign and there's a lot of people that are questioning it. They have a lot of kind of one-off $1 backers. And I can see this campaign turning against them in a big way. So I'm hoping that Shinobi 7 uh, rectifies the gameplay stuff so we can actually see some of the pieces and not just digital assets that kind of show it. And that they address more of the comments, like, you know, the art style of the game piece itself. And uh, basically do a more thorough job of, of convincing people that this is worth backing on Kickstarter instead of waiting for retail. Because right now this just seems like a pre-order that helps them kind of get this to market. And for that reason, I'm going to officially declare this campaign busted. If you have a project that you want me to take a look at, uh, send it over to me at crowdfundingspectacular99 at gmail.com or send it to me on Twitter at Rob McZob. 
I would love to uh, kind of, you know, back or bust something that you think is interesting or you're not sure about. And if you need a hand with the campaign that you're ready to unleash on the world, hit me up at those same spot, you know, facebook.com slash crowdfunding at Rob McZob on Twitter. I work with a lot of people and I'd love to see your project really make the Kickstarter or Indiegogo space better and get people really talking about your project and watch it come to life the right way with no stone uh, unturned and in the best possible way for success. So that's it for now. Thanks for watching and until next time.